0: Helping students and healthcare professionals not just survive, but thrive with a purpose. This is the CMDA Student Pulse Podcast with your host, Bill Reichardt, National Director of CMDA Campus Ministries.
1: Well, welcome to another episode of CMDA's Student Pulse Podcast. I'm Bill Reichardt, National Director for Campus and Community Ministries here at CMDA. And my guest today is Tyson Langhoffer. Tyson is the director of the Center for Academic Freedom for Alliance Defending Freedom. And uh, Tyson, before we get into our conversation, let me just give our our listeners and those who are watching a a quick bio. um, Tyson earned his uh, JD at Regent University School of Law in 1999, uh, graduating cum laude. Tyson serves as, again, the senior counsel and director of the Center for Academic Freedom for ADF and uh, has uh, been a guest or written pieces for numerous major media outlets, including The Washington Post, The Washington Times, USA Today, Town Hall, The Federalist, and The Daily Wire. Well, thank you, Tyson, for joining us. And I, and I guess you can now add the uh, Student Pulse podcast to that, that list of <laughs> uh, media outlets and such. Um, thank you for being a part of this, uh, our podcast and, and having this conversation together.
0: Absolutely. So happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, I'm, we're gonna dive right into the issues uh, before us, and they have to do with uh, freedom, freedom on our medical and dental school campuses. Why don't we just uh, help uh, our listeners understand what are the First Amendment rights does a student at a public university possess fundamentally?
0: Yeah, so um, you know, there's a, a number of uh, kind of uh, principles surrounding the rights of students on campus, but in general, the, the Supreme Court has made it very clear that Students at public universities and public schools don't shed their constitutional rights when they step onto the campus or when they step through the schoolhouse gates. So they they maintain their First Amendment rights. But they do have different rights. The rights do vary depending on the setting. So let me talk first about the broader outdoor areas of campus, your sidewalks and your grassy areas and things like that. In those areas, those are generally considered public forums. And in public forums, you typically, the government cannot restrict your rights to speak, um, and except with reasonable time, place, and manner restrictions. That they can't say, I don't like what you're gonna say, therefore you can't say it. But they could say, hey, you can't stand outside the dorms at three in the morning with a bullhorn. Uh, That would be a reasonable time, place, and manner restriction. You know, you can't block ingress and egress to buildings. Uh, That would be a reasonable time, place, and manner restriction. You can't destroy any property again, a reasonable time, place, and manner restriction. But when you're out on the public sidewalks and, and grassy areas, you have the right to share the gospel. You have the right to express your political opinions. You have the right to discuss controversial matters. And the school can't tell you, hey, you can't do that without our permission, or you can only do that in this little area over here, these speech zones. And we can talk about the types of policies maybe that universities try to implement in order to restrict speech, but in general, that's your rights outdoors. Now, indoors, in classrooms, when you're in class, a uh, school has a greater right to restrict your speech because that's not an, a public forum. It's not designed for the public to come in and express their viewpoints, right? That is designed for a very specific uh, function, which is to deliver academic content for the people that have paid for that content. So you couldn't tell a professor, hey, by the way, I'd like to express my opinion on immigration today, right, in your uh, biology class. That doesn't, that's not the forum for which that is designed. So you have restricted rights in there. But if the professor says, hey, we're going to write a speech on anything you want to write on, and you say, I'd like to share about my faith in Jesus, he couldn't say, well, you can't do that because you can't talk about religion, but you can talk about everything else. That would be a content-based restriction or a viewpoint-based restriction and even in a closed forum they don't have the ability to say you can't do that if they open the forum up for people to express their opinion
1: Mm, that's very helpful let's before we dive into some of those the ways that a, a school or university might restrict those rights We should qualify the things we're talking about. We're talking about public institutions. And so there are gonna be medical students, dental students that are in private institutions. Where do these uh, boundaries uh, differ?
0: Sure, yeah, that's a great point. So the First Amendment only restricts the government. The First Amendment says that the government may not restrict your First Amendment rights. And public universities and public schools are government entities, therefore they are restricted by that. Conversely, private institutions are actually protected by the First Amendment. Many private religious institutions say that we want to establish a religious institution to further our religious beliefs and to develop students that have those beliefs, and therefore they have the right to set restrictions on students that maybe a public institution would not. So the First Amendment and all the principles we're going to talk about today do not apply to the private schools. Now, there may be some contractual things or some policies that private institutions have that you could look to to say, hey, you said in your policy that you would give me the right to speak, but now you're telling me I cannot. You're applying this in a discriminatory manner according to your own policies, and you might have some policy remedy, but you would not have a First Amendment remedy for most private institutions.
1: Okay. That's very helpful. Thank you, Tyson. Uh, Well, let's let's dive into some of the ways that a student might feel restricted as, you know, the things that we're seeing, CMBA chapters gathering together on campus, usually the challenges are in in their speech or um, what they might say might be held to account by the the school or university or the leaders they want to put into place. Those who are part of their uh, CMBA chapter, they are restricted or they're, They're prohibited from uh, restricting the leadership to just Christians, those who would share the same beliefs and values. And so that has become a a challenge for some of our our student chapters. But in in light of that, what are some of the things uh, in the ways that schools and universities are putting some restrictions or attempting to restrict students' uh, First Amendment rights?
0: So there's really four uh, general types of policies that we typically see employed by schools uh, that can vary in in application but have general categories. The first, it would be a, a speech zone policy or a prior permit policy, where and these apply usually in the outdoor areas of campus, and they essentially say, hey, you can't speak anywhere on campus uh, unless you have a prior permit, or you only can speak in this speech zone with prior permission. And as I indicated, most public universities, their outdoor areas of campus are public forums, and typically they cannot require, the government cannot require prior permission before speaking in a public forum, um, unless it's just a reasonable time, place, and manner restriction. So if a CMDA student wanted to go out and they wanted to promote an event that was happening the CMDA was going to hold on campus, generally, if there's just one student out there saying, hey, we're going to hold an event tomorrow night, you want to come to it? The school couldn't say, hey, you have to have prior permission before doing this, and you got to have three days notice and all that stuff. That would be a prior restraint, uh, which would be unconstitutional. So if they try to restrict your speech on, you know, just a general couple students out speaking on a sidewalk, Typically, they can't do that. That would be uh, something they couldn't do. A second way would be a speech code, and a speech code really doesn't. It, it tries to. It doesn't say you to prior permission, but it but it, it regulates the content of what you're going to say. And typically, these are uh, in their non-discrimination policies. They'll say um, that you can't discriminate on certain bases: race, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, the whole panoply of protected characteristics. And they'll they'll apply that in a way to say. If you expressed your religious beliefs uh, in a way that offended somebody, uh, that somehow uh, constituted a violation of the non-discrimination policy and they apply it to restrict the content of your speech. The the First Amendment is very clear that the government cannot restrict or target the content or viewpoint of somebody's speech. If they allow people to speak on a subject, they can't say, we you can't express that viewpoint on that subject. So in general, if in class, or in a, an assignment, or at an event, or you know, other way, elsewhere on campus, students at CMDA events or, or parts of, you know, that are Christians on campus, they can't be told you can't speak or express your opinion because it has simply offended somebody else. So that's a speech code. And then you have the student recognition policies, which you were discussing earlier, Bill, where, where you have a forum which is created where uh, most universities say, we're gonna have these student groups, these recognized student groups. And they're going to get certain benefits, but you have to meet certain criteria in order to to be a recognized student group. Most of them say that you have to sign the non-discrimination policy. And again, the non-discrimination policy says that the university may not uh, discriminate on certain bases, race, religion, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity. And they apply that to student groups. Now, we think that that's wrong. We think that they can't even apply that to student groups because... It's private action as opposed to government action. These are student groups that are private and they're gathering together of their own accord, which they have the right to do. Um, but even if it could apply, what they can't do is say, we're gonna allow certain groups uh, to organize around certain beliefs, but we're not gonna allow you when to organize around your religious beliefs and ensure that your leaders share those beliefs. Um, that's unconstitutional. It violates their First Amendment rights. How can you ensure that you're going to uh, be able to have a group which advocates for certain beliefs if you can't make sure that your leaders share those certain beliefs, right? Exactly. It's really pretty silly. It's very, very silly. It just doesn't make any sense. Most of these universities have between 100 and 600 different student groups with all variety of beliefs. And many of them have very exclusive type uh, uh, beliefs. And it's completely fine for a Jewish group to ensure that their their leaders have Jewish beliefs and a Muslim group share their Muslim beliefs or a feminist group have beliefs. Uh, lead that, that group. There's nothing wrong with that. And so they can't do that. And so if you run into a problems there, give us a call. We'd love to help you on that. Then finally, you have student fees. Most universities require their students to pay fees in addition to uh, their tuition. And those fees go in part to support student groups to express certain opinions. And many times, those are many, many thousands of dollars available to student groups, but many times they will be allocated by the student union on campus. And the student unions are very, very liberal. And many times they are denying the right of student groups to express pro-life or Christian or conservative viewpoints in an event that they wanna be funded by student groups. Uh, That's unconstitutional as well. The Supreme Court held that if they have a student group, uh, a mandatory student fee, they must allocate those fees in a viewpoint neutral manner. In other words, they, they can't say, well, we don't like your viewpoint on a pro-life viewpoint will fund a pro-abortion uh, viewpoint but not a pro-life viewpoint. That would be viewpoint discrimination and it's not allowed.
1: So let's say um, a student or student group, a CMDA group, runs afoul of some of these potential issues that you just described, how should they respond? What, What? so oftentimes there's a lot of intimidation baked into this, it's it's uh, a fear of, of you know, getting in trouble in, in some way that's going to upend their, their medical career, their their training. And and so you know, flying under the radar, trying to keep a low profile, it's it's easy for students to feel uh, maybe intimidated quickly uh, as they're maybe asked to go to the dean's office. We've seen that oftentimes, uh, those those conversations that that students are, you know, a part of that that often create a lot of anxiety and, uh, and challenge. So let's say a student or student group is, is faced with these issues, what, what would be their first approach? What would be their, their first step in terms of addressing these issues as they would come up?
0: Well, I mean, the, the first approach is just to start a dialogue with whoever's in charge, whoever's making that uh, decision. If it gets denied, don't just allow the denial to sit there. Just ask the questions, ask questions. Mm-hmm. Hey, what policy did you apply? What was the basis? What, what evidence did you rely upon in applying that policy? Mm-hmm. You know, is this a policy been applied this way in, in the past and just engage in it, you know, mm-hmm. give them the benefit of the doubt, uh, but ask questions. Don't be afraid to question. And, and then to say, hey, I found this policy. It appears that that we comply. I'm confused about why this was denied and then try to gather information. And then if you feel like after gathering that, that it wasn't applied correctly, mm-hmm. uh, then you could always reach out to us and say, you know, at ADF and say, hey, here's what happened. Uh, what do you guys think? Do, is this an issue? you know ADF is a ministry we do everything we do for free it's pro bono there's no charge to you this is why we're here you're not bothering us this is why we're here we want to help students like you bring the gospel to a very dark place the universities where it's really needed so reach out to us and we would evaluate it and say yeah you've got a you've got a uh, a claim here and then we usually we try to work with them where we help the students try to work it out directly we try to not to get invo- involved unless absolutely necessary It's not our goal to create litigation. Mm. It's our goal to allow students to have the full benefit, of their resources on campus and not be discriminated against because of their beliefs. And if we can do that through a simple email, then that's great. I don't want to complicate their lives through a lawsuit. My goal is just to help them be able to most efficiently carry out the goals of their group.
1: Yeah, that's exactly what we've seen when, when, um, rather than just recoil and step, you know, and, and surrender, in a sense, to kind of lean in with the curiosity that you spoke of, ask the good questions, you know, just try to find out what, what the rationale and reason is for the, that this particular uh, issue or concern from the university. And then I think what you all are providing is just such an invaluable resource is the Coaching, the coming alongside, giving a, a students st- an understanding of kind of where they stand in light of the situation as they describe it, and uh, and helping kind of walk them through that. So we're going to put your information and how they reach out uh, on you know in our show notes and make sure that information is available. I know it's as simple as going to your website and, and just reaching out. Uh, you have a you have a particular um, branch of the ADF that focuses on on student work. Is that correct?
0: We do. Correct. So it's the Center for Academic Freedom. There's seven attorneys and a couple uh, legal assistants and some other people that all we do is represent students and faculty at public universities in order so that they can freely participate in, in the marketplace of ideas.
1: You, you all have helped uh, a bunch of our students and continue to do so. And it has been, in, like I said, an invaluable resource just to be able to uh, have your expertise and understanding of of these issues. Cause for the most part, I think there's really very few new uh, situations that you see. You probably see the same issues appearing again and again and again, just maybe repackaged a little differently.
0: That's absolutely true. And, and let me give you, uh, your students, some encouragement in a couple of things. One, we have about a 91 percent success rate in, when we challenge these policies. What that tells you is that the law is still really strong. And so, and we don't bring frivolous lawsuits. We don't try to create a controversy just to create a controversy. We do it when we know that there is a really strong claim. And so one, you know, they can rest assured that, that, you know, we know what we're doing and that the law really does protect them. But secondly, you know, there's really a biblical example. I mean, Paul was a Roman citizen and when Paul, his rights were violated, they tried to sweep it under the rug. And he said, no, I'm a Roman citizen and I want my right in front of, you know, uh, Caesar, right? And, and so, there's nothing wrong with that. It's completely fine. And in fact, it, uh, it's not only really biblical, but it actually helps the next person down the road. You know, that, that down the line, those other students that are coming after them, establishing that precedent to allow them to be able to continue the legacy of what they've started through CMDA.
1: Well, we've kind of been talking about uh, the defense, you know, responding when a situation arises. Let's talk about the offense. W- what can we do proactively to create a culture of free speech? You know, what are some steps we can take in that direction?
0: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, As I indicated, the thing that encourages me about where we're at is that we're still winning these lawsuits and these challenges on a very, very successful basis. The problem is that we're winning in the law, but we're losing in the culture. Uh, I think obviously any student that's been on a public university campus for any period of time would know that there is a culture that does not respect the value of free speech. And, and everyone uh, on both sides would say that they censor themselves for fear of what other people are going to think. What I tell everybody, and this is a difficult thing, it's not easy, I'm not uh, minimizing that. But what, what a principle that I always think about is this principle. It's that uniformity of thought breeds intolerance of disagreement. Uniformity of thought breeds intolerance of disagreement. You know why people react so viscerally to Christian, the Orthodox Christian beliefs on campus? is because they rarely hear it. They don't ever meet anybody that expresses it and expresses it in a winsome way, in a way that is inviting and actually with uh, the ability to have a conversation. If more of our Christian uh, brothers and sisters in Christ on campus express their beliefs in a winsome manner and a regular basis with evidence, I don't think that we would see such response because they would say, oh, I know that person. They're a good person. They're very thoughtful. They're very intelligent. They're not hateful and bigoted. They have, uh, they're just sharing their, their orthodox, um, deeply held beliefs. And so I think the way we create a better campus and society that is open to different beliefs is that we're willing to express those opinions, even when it's a little bit scary to do so. Because what I know is when my clients do that, they've had so many people come up to them quietly, usually, but say, hey, thanks for doing that. Hey, I appreciate that, I agree with you, I support you.
1: Mm. Oh, that's a good word. Well, we know in these days there are strong headwinds culturally against people of faith, uh, wanting to live out their faith in a, in a uh, a real uh, winsome a uh, practical way and uh it's it's challenging and it really is requiring um almost the courage of a daniel in these days to step out and, and step forward but again with a community of others around them like cmda there's strength and support in the course of doing that but then there are organizations like adf that are also coming alongside to to help encourage and uh, admonish and and, and, and just. I think ignite and emboldened that courage yet still more. And I'm just, I'm just thankful for what you all are doing and the ways, again, that you've come alongside our students in those moments. Because we don't, you know, no student anticipates that they're gonna have a, you know, a, a, these kinds of issues, concerns, and dust-ups, but when they, when they happen, it's good to know that there's an organization like yourself who has years of experience walking th- these paths, understanding the issues, and seeing, like you just said, Tyson, the success in, in terms of the outcomes that you, that you realize at the end. so as we're kind of wrapping up our conversation, uh, Tyson, w- anything you would leave students, uh, anything that you would um, encourage or exhort them to consider or uh, ways that they can uh, respond to the things that we just discussed?
0: Well, I, I think I'd leave them with this understanding that when they stand up, even if they're just expressing an opinion or if they stand up for their rights, that their their stand has a ripple effect on so many people that they will have no idea about. I've seen it time and time again for my clients where people will come up to them and will say, man, your stance gave me the courage to take a stand. We say that courage begets courage. And I, I represented a, a client named Jack Ditton at Florida State University who was the Senate president and he was removed for expressing his traditional Catholic beliefs in a Catholic group chat for the Catholic Student Union. And he was called into a meeting for seven hours, a Zoom meeting where hundreds of people came and, deploy, and, and just made awful comments to him about him, simply because he expressed his Catholic beliefs. And he was able to share uh, in the way he responded to that, he made an impact. And I've had two people come up to me in the year and a half since I represented him who said, did you represent Jack Denton? I said, yes. And one of them worked at Florida State and said, after I saw that, I said, I will never raise another dime for Florida State. And she left her job and went and joined a, a conservative organization so she could become advocating for things that she really believed in. I had an attorney who came up to me and said, did you represent Jack? I said, yes. He said, you were, I was in the courtroom on the other side when you argued that. And he said, I thought the whole time, I'm on the wrong side of this. And he left that position and joined another place where he could advocate things for, that he believed in. So Jack's stand changed the trajectory of two people's lives because he had courage. And so I would just encourage the students, don't look at the short-term pain because it, there will be some. There will be a cost. But I can guarantee you that the gains that you come, that come from standing for your beliefs, how God will use that, it will be far in excess of anything, any cost that comes as a result of your stance.
1: Mm, that's a great word to end on. Thank you, Tyson. Thank you again for you and the, the work you and the, your colleagues do at ADF. And again, we're going to put the information as to where students can go to reach out to you all. Uh, and that information will be in our show notes. So again, uh, Tyson uh, Langhoffer, thank you so much for being a part of CMD Student Pulse podcast. Thanks for having me. This is the part of the podcast where we tell you some things that you need to know. Our CMDA National Convention is coming up April 27th to the 30th in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is a fantastic opportunity to meet other Christian healthcare professionals. And we don't want you as a student to miss out on this opportunity. So we've got some special deals for you. Scholarship money that will cover your registration as well as parts of your housing and travel expenses. But to find out how to do that, how to get access to that scholarship money and to apply, you'll need to go to this website, cmdastudentlife.org slash NACON. And we'll make sure to put these links in our show notes as well. And then lastly, don't forget to download the CMDA Student Life app. On it is a host of resources, small groups, Bible studies, this podcast, and just so many tools and resources that are that are important for you your faith and for your work with cmda so make sure you go on the app store or the google play store and simply search for cmda student life and download the app and as always you can find us on our social media sites using the handle cmda student life we're on facebook twitter instagram and youtube Well, as always, we're just so thankful that you joined us for this episode of CMDA's Student Pulse Podcast. We look forward to talking to you next time.
0: Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time. CMDA's Student Pulse Podcast is a production of the Christian Medical and Dental Associations. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are not necessarily endorsed by the organization. CMDA is non partisan and does not endorse political parties or candidates for public office. The views expressed on Student Pulse podcast reflect judgments regarding principles and values held by CMDA and its members.